This morning, I want to talk to you about one of the most encouraging circumstances in all of Scripture, that being the relationship of encouragement between Paul and the church in Philippi. And it's especially wonderful because Paul is at this time in prison when he writes this letter. But the loving relationship and encouragement that is directed his way by the Philippians, for which Paul's so grateful, uh, and you can expect this would be the case, that he's a beloved apostle in prison, uh, he's loved by a church that he also loves, and so they send him their encouragement. That encouragement that they send him is sent right back to the Philippians by Paul including the actual sending of persons. So he sends Timothy, and he's talking about sending back Epaphroditus to the Philippians for their encouragement. They'd already sent Epaphroditus to him for his encouragement. And so Paul now writes about sending these two brothers to the Philippians, which means, of course, that they won't be with him to encourage him at a truly dark time in his life. The relationship is just so mutually encouraging, so self-sacrificing on the part of both Paul and the Philippians. So here's what I really love about this whole circumstance, and it flows right out of what I just said. It's that what Paul and the Philippian church are participating in can actually be thought of as a whole culture of encouragement. We aren't just talking about individuals who choose to encourage each other in light of the challenges they each face in the moment, and they do face challenges, but instead, they live out a constant relationship of encouragement with one another. This is just how they are with one another. This is just who they are with each other. This is their status quo, a status quo of encouragement. And it's true of each of the major players in this letter. Now, Except for one notable exception, the case of two Christian sisters that are mentioned in chapter 4, Eudea and Syntyche. Uh, their relationship isn't quite so encouraging, but even then, Paul encourages them and he calls the Philippians to encourage them. So even in that circumstance, there is some encouragement. So let me show you what I mean then. When I say that there is a culture of encouragement lived out between Paul and the Philippians. Now first, on Paul's part. He intentionally uses language that constantly builds up the Philippians, and he does this from the very start. So in chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to look at the book of Philippians, he describes them as God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, and he names specifically the overseers and the deacons of the church uh, in calling them God's holy people. And maybe he does this because he especially wants to encourage the leaders. He calls them God's holy people, which is quite intentional language, because there has already been, as you know, a holy people of God. Now, who's that? Who, who is the holy people of God? Well, that's, of course, the Jews, who happen to be at the present moment, as we can infer from chapter 3, insisting, these Jews are, that all the Gentile Christians need to follow the Mosaic law and be circumcised in order to be God's people. So you have some Jewish Christians who are insisting that the Philippian Gentile Christians keep the Mosaic law. At the end of chapter 1, there are hints made by Paul that the Philippian church is actually being persecuted by the Jews in Philippi, or at least by the Jewish Christians, and he wants to encourage them in light of what they're facing. He has faced it himself in many cities to which he's traveled, and those who are part of the church there are now facing it too. So listen to this language from, from chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and just listen to how Paul encourages them in light of their circumstance. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. 
That would be encouraging. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may, may, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. You know, this language is so different than how Paul writes in some of his other letters. This is so different, for example, than Galatians or 1 Thessalonians. And that's because of the special loving relationship that Paul shares with the church in Philippi. And so look at chapter 1, verse 22. He says, if I'm going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. When Paul is wrestling with this famous choice of his, about whether to die and be with the Lord or stay and continue his ministry, he chooses to stay. And he makes it clear that the welfare of the Philippians and others like them is the reason he wishes to stay. He wants to stay to encourage and build up the church. You know, it reminds me of you, Dana Rippenhagen, who keeps encouraging others, sometimes even specifically me, even when her body is racked with the pain of another kidney stone. Or it reminds me of Margaret Tidland. Remember how when she was near the end, the doctors told her that she likely would not make it through another night? And, and I visited her in the hospital on that night, and she talked about how ready she was to go see the Lord, and how she just wanted to go to sleep, knowing that it would be her last night on earth. And then in the morning, she was still alive. And I saw her that next morning again, and she was so disappointed that she was still alive because she wanted to go and be with Christ. She lived another four days, of, uh, if memory serves me correctly, being a constant encouragement to those around her. What, what a joy. In her 90s, she was the electronic Wii bowling champion at the Colonel Belcher Retirement Home. She fostered over 40 children, adopting several of them. And that's how to live all the while being a constant encourager of others. So Dana in her pain, Margaret as she's leaving this life, constantly encouraging others despite the things that they themselves are going to going through. And that's exactly what Paul is doing with the Philippians. It's so easy these days to just think about our own struggles when there are people around us everywhere that need to be encouraged. Well, because of time, I'll stop there with showing you examples of Paul's encouraging words. But take my word for it, they fill up this letter. Paul is in prison, but the whole Philippian letter is really just one big word of encouragement. Whether it's to the whole persecuted church, 
or it's words specifically directed to Judea and Syntyche, to these sisters who can't get along, Paul is constantly encouraging the Philippian church in this letter. But the encouragement mentioned in this letter does not just come from Paul. Paul himself is tremendously encouraged while he's in prison in Rome by the Philippian church, which goes out of its way to assist and encourage him, even sending Epaphroditus to him in prison, a dear brother of theirs, bringing Paul gifts through Epaphroditus from the church to this apostle whom they loved. So Paul, in chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, talks about Epaphroditus, whom they'd sent with gifts to Paul while he was in prison. And then in chapter 4, verses 10 through 19, Paul talks at length about the way Epaphroditus and the gifts they sent have encouraged him. I want you to listen to this language, but, but then I want you to notice how Paul, in speaking of their encouragement of him, is actually turning it right around and encouraging them in the process by writing this letter. So this is a little long, but if you follow along with me in your own Bible, you're going to be blessed by this. I'm in chapter 4, now in verse 10. And Paul says this. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me which doesn't mean that they had been holding off. It just means they weren't able to do it previous to this because he, the circumstances, maybe being in prison, they couldn't get encouragement to him, but now they can. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And that, that itself is great encouraging language. And then he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment. Have more, I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is literally falling all over himself to thank them and encourage the Philippians, even as he expresses how they have how they have encouraged him not just with their gifts but with their fellowship in the lord they probably would have loved to keep epaphroditus there for their own encouragement but they sacrificially sent him to paul for paul's encouragement and now he's sacrificially sending epaphroditus back to them when i'm sure paul would love for epaphroditus to stay and to be with him in, uh, where he's in prison well, again, I could go on talking about the connection between apostle and church and their culture of mutual edification and encouragement, but there is something that needs to be seen from this letter that I think is especially telling and especially encouraging when it comes to creating and living out what I'm calling a culture of encouragement. And that comes in chapter 2, and so I want you to turn there. Look at chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. I really want you to turn and, and read this with me. 
And in relation to what is often referred to as the Christ hymn of Paul, there are words here that I find especially encouraging uh, that are going to be grounding us uh, about encouragement. And, and it comes in the midst of this rhythmic, poetic hymn. This is often called the Christ hymn. And, and I want to, I want you to notice in chapter two how this comes immediately after Paul has just talked about the suffering for Christ to which the Philippians are called in chapter one, verses 29 through 30. So you can see that Christ suffered. They also suffer. Uh, they're called to, to suffer just as Christ and Paul do. And so here, here is chapter two, verse one. And this is beautiful. It says, therefore, based on the fact that they're having to suffer. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. In other words, being able to encourage one another. Now, did you catch those words at the beginning of what Paul says? Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. And he then goes on to discuss how the encouragement that they receive from being united with Christ should directly impact the relationships they are to have with one another. So they are to, as Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility they should value others above themselves, not looking to their own interests, but each of them to the interests of others. And then he says in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. My point is that Paul teaches and expects that the relationships that they have will be initiated by, modeled after, grounded in the encouragement that they have received from Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ, Paul says, and the point of this whole section is not just for them to see what Christ did as he emptied, emptied himself even to the point of death, but for them to do likewise for each other. Can there be anything more encouraging for us than when someone else makes a massive sacrifice specifically for us and we know it? So here's the culture of encouragement come full circle. The culture of encouragement is there because Paul and the Philippians first receive encouragement by Christ. It's established by Christ. This is Christ's way. And this now, this culture of Christ and his way becomes their culture of encouragement because that's what they receive from Jesus. So let me say this again, because it's so crucial to get this. The culture of encouragement is there between Paul and the Philippians because it was first established by Christ as his own way. It's Christ's culture of encouragement that comes first. He creates it. He started it for us. He exampled it. And he expects us to walk in it, to follow him in being of constant encouragers to others and even of our enemies, as we saw last week. You know, when I first started in ministry, there were two people that I think of as being particularly encouraging to me. One was O.J. Warren, Otis J. Warren, the father of Neil Clark Warren, who's the founder of eHarmony. 
Uh, you've seen the online dating service that's advertised all the time, eHarmony. Neil Clark Warren grew up at the church that I was serving in the early 80s. And O.J. Warren, his dad, and his mother, Rosa, uh, were still there then. O.J. was in his 90s when Robin and I moved to Long Beach, California to do ministry. And he was still quite capable of presiding at the Lord's Supper table, saying prayers, and being of encouragement to others. And he had been doing it since his church in Iowa had made him an elder at the tender age of 26. Now, I, I don't know exactly how Otis became an elder at the age of 26, except he must have been extraordinarily mature for his age, maybe because he was just such a great encourager. Otis was a teenager when the split had become official between the instrumental churches and the a cappella churches of Christ. And he used to describe the pain that caused him and, and the pain it caused the church. And what always amazed me was that in his 90s and me being 23, Otis actually showed me respect. When his wife Rosa died just before their 70th wedding anniversary, he asked me, he asked me to participate uh, in the funeral just because he didn't want to leave me out. We had three staff members. I was the youngest. I was the last to join. But he didn't want me to not be included. And he used to talk about the significance of the role I had in shaping the lives of young people as the youth minister in that church. By O.J. Warren, I never felt disrespected. I never felt looked down upon. I never felt taken for granted or anything except encouraged. You know, I guess by the time you've lived 90 plus years, through two world wars, through multiple church controversies, and seen scores of young men go in and out of ministry, you've learned the need to be positive and encouraging. And I've often thought that if the Lord allows me to live to a great age with a sound mind, that I would like to be just like O.J. Warren, encouraging to the greatest degree. Another encourager to me, and to many others, was a guy named Maurice Hall, who'd been a missionary, I think, to Japan after the war, uh, Jonathan. Uh, he had preached in numerous places. Uh, he had lost a son uh, to the Vietnam War. And Maurice and Marie would always be at the Pepperdine Lectures, always there at preacher gatherings in Southern California. And Maurice loved to encourage younger preachers. So when I found myself at some gathering where Maurice was present, he would always have an encouraging word. And it may be that his encouraging words were reserved especially for young men taking the role in the church that his own son would never fulfill. I don't know, but that might have been a part of what he was doing. He used to tell how in the old days, when silver dollars were more available, he would often carry silver dollars in his pocket. And when he met a boy in the church that he thought had some potential, he would give the boy a silver dollar and would say something like, I want you to keep that silver dollar, and every time you see it, I want you to think about the value of preaching the gospel and think about becoming a gospel preacher. You know, Otis is long gone to glory. Maurice Hall is long gone to glory. Paul is gone. The original Philippian church is gone. In fact, the whole city of Philippi is pretty much gone, aside from some ruins. But their legacies of encouragement live on. They live on in those who have directly or indirectly been encouraged, not just by their memories and example, but by their actual words. 
their actual efforts to encourage others. They lived out lives of encouragement and contributed to a culture of encouragement wherever they went. You know, that's what I would love to see present in the church in Calvary. For us to be known as possessing a church culture of encouragement. And I'm not sure it would be all that difficult to create. All it would take is for all of us to decide that that's who we're going to be. And and I don't mean in some shallow, always look the bright side kind of way, but instead a culture of encouragement grounded in what Christ first showed us in his own example of encouragement, which we have actually received from him. I would love for it to be grounded in the encouragement we receive from the Holy Spirit. So the question is not then just who will encourage you today? Who will you encourage today? The question is, will this be your lifestyle? Will this be your pattern of life, your status quo, so that you consistently are an an encourager within the Calvary Church of Christ, helping to create for us a culture of encouragement? I hope that you add to that culture of encouragement. Let me lead us in prayer. Holy Father, I thank you for the blessing we have of examples who've gone before us, who are great encouragers and who helped establish a culture of encouragement. Thank you for Paul and the relationship that he shared with the church in Philippi. I pray, God, that you will bless us in our church with that kind of attitude, that kind of culture where we just encourage one another because that's just who we are. Father, I thank you for examples in our own lives. I thank you for the O.J. Warrens, the Maurice Halls, who bless us and bring us along. I'm grateful for Margaret Tidland. I'm grateful for Dana Rippenhagen and others who endure hardship and pain sometimes and yet end up encouraging others even in the midst of their pain. Thank you for that example. God, help us to serve and honor you in every way. We thank you for Jesus, the great encourager who makes our own encouraging attitudes possible. And it's through him that we pray. Amen. God bless you and help you have, I pray you have a great day.